You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Brecken, what have you been up to this morning? I picked a scab off my left nipple. (laughs) I hope you're uh, telling the truth because I want to hear more. I chafed on a run. Trying to think what it was. It was, I I did a run. I almost never have nipple chafing. I'm just blessed Mm. with that, especially since I have like perpetually hard nipples. And you got, don't you got tiny little nipples? I mean, I don't think they're abnormally, they're not like my hands. (laughs) Okay. But, but I'm like, I'm a candidate for nipple chafing and I almost never get it, but I did a, a, uh, a run where it was raining and I had some, um, some print on my shirt and the two combined my left nipple chafed and it was really cold as well. It was one of those like February 32 and a half degree rain days. And I chafed for like an hour and, um, and my nipple was just raw and then it's been like swollen and red and then like the skin turned like whitish. We're getting into the, <laughs> to the <laughs> gritty here. I want to know. And I've had this like this thing on the end of my nipple for like six or seven weeks now, maybe more. Uh, And I I was starting to wonder like, (laughs) is my my nipple going to rot off? I don't know if that's going to (laughs) happen. And this morning it looked different and I picked at it and it came off. And uh, now now I have just my normal nipple back. There's there's a little bit of red uh, where where the last little little part of whatever came off was. But for the most part, I'm at like 98% nipple capacity now so i'm back to good wow i know i know you like to walk around the house shirtless to just assert your dominance but i bet it was hard that lisa was making you keep your shirt on because of this problem i was embarrassed to even show anyone i was just in cutoffs whenever i wanted to be shirtless man well i'm glad you pulled through i'm glad that uh, your nipples are both attached and they're well i'll tell you what i will never again make those mistakes I will I will take better care of my nipple health before it runs because I'm not going through this again. You know what, though? Let's just dwell on this for a second. The only time I've nipple chafed is either one, when I wear a shirt on a really hot summer day and I sweat so much that that shirt gets wet and then it rubs, or on a rainy, cold day where the nips are sticking out and you get wet. So, like, what do you, what do, you do? What do you do? Because I've had um, soft t-shirts, like I've had my mud gear shirts, which are fantastic. I've chafed in those on a rainy day. I've chased in any other performance gear or a cotton t-shirt. I mean, yeah. do we got to go to those little uh, flower pasties? Is that what we got to do? Pasties are a real option. <laughs> you know, if they could be floral or they can be a little Band-Aid. Um, but I, I go compression now. I should wear a compression mm-hmm. on that. If I have to wear a rain jacket over the top, then it's compression with a rain jacket over the top. And uh, on really hot days, like it's got to be shirtless or it's got to be a really nice, like running singlet of some sorts. Um, but I, I've, I'm from now on, I'm also slapping Vaseline or or uh, body glide on my nips. Not worth going through that again. Now, see, I wear all my shirts a size too small. Oh, of purpose. course I do. 
So, yeah, so they they fit pretty snug. So my chaffage risk is pretty low, I think. Yeah, that's because they're they're hugging my chesties so tight already. You know, before I did my uh, I did a 50K on the trails last July, which July in the Midwest is hot and extremely humid. And I was very worried about nipple chafing. So I went with a pretty much skin tight uh, top, really, really um, thin light. And then I I just lathered myself up in body glide and and nothing oh. like i said I've, I've probably only had nipple chafing like five times in my life and two well, maybe six two of them have been hot days where i shouldn't have been wearing a shirt and then the other four are are cold wet days you never have ended up like andy bernard in the office when they have the never, 5k never. <laughs> thankfully no. never but there are some people that are like, you know, some people just naturally get blisters on their feet. Some people just naturally nip chafe. Bracken, I am proud of the fact that we milked over four minutes out of this nipple uh, conversation here. Yeah. We can go on and on about anything, I'm pretty sure. We could. Yeah. But today's episode isn't about nipple chafing, is it? <laughs> it's not. But I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, this was totally unplanned. I didn't even tell Kirk I was going to talk about my nipples and I didn't tell him about it. Why would we talk, talk about that beforehand? In the, in the spirit of giving, um, I'm going to give away a free month of coaching right now, Kirk. <laughs> wow. Free month, okay. not, 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 I won't put you on the line. A free month of my coaching to the worst nipple chafe story that a, that a user sends in. It can be a race. It can be training. It could even just be normal life. Um, if you'd somehow chafed in normal life, like on the construction site or something, but send your nipple chafe stories. The worst one, the one I feel worst about, I will give you a free month of coaching. I think a photo would help with that. If you bless your heart, took one. That I, would be... I don't know if we can ask for users. Nipples <laughs> well, not in this climate. Curve. Not... Uh, uh, we, yeah. we got a lot of questions from people who uh, two, two common scenarios. The first is that, they're stuck in on a treadmill for the first time ever. They always avoid it, and now they have to use it, and they're not used to using that tool efficiently. And then the second is that, hey, I finally, I've been on the fence about a treadmill for a long time, and now I felt like no better time than now. So they went out and got a treadmill, and then same thing. They're, they're excited to use it, but they're not used to using it. So I think we should just blow the doors off this and, and talk about all things treadmill training. Yeah, I think if there's any time to talk about it and people being stuck, we will say on their treadmill, it would be now, whether you're like yourself, we were chatting before we started to record and you're shuffling around three kids and you're trying to teach them throughout the day and sneak in a quick workout and not lose sight of them. So they don't like kill themselves somehow. Like you got like real situations and you know, we like to bag on, I even personally like to bag on the treadmill, like, you know, get outside, suck it up, yada, yada. But, um, there's a time and a place, and I think for a lot of people, that time and place is now. So we should dive into the inner workings of how to make this work for you. Yeah. The first thing that everyone needs to do is just embrace it and realize I can get everything I need off this treadmill. True, you're not going to be totally ready for technical terrain, but there are so many examples of people doing this. You familiar with Zach Miller? I'm not. Okay. So he's a, he's an ultra runner and uh, trains out of Colorado Springs now. Um, but he he was notorious for his first, I think, 50 miler that he ever ran. He was working on a cruise ship leading up to this, and he did all of his training on the treadmill or around the decks of the cruise ship. And then whenever they made port, he'd get in and quick get a, a trail run. So he'd get like, what, maybe one trail run a week? 
And yeah. he came out and broke Max King's course record on the first 50, 50 miler he ran and wow. just hasn't looked back since. So like there are tons of stories of people who have got into fantastic shape for off-road running on a treadmill. Yeah. And I think right now, um, you know, let's say, you know, 80% of your work has to be done on a treadmill. And I don't think there's a lot of you out there. That's the case. And we'll dive into a lot of inner workings of treadmill work in a bit, but um, you know, even if that is the case, and then finally when situation clears and you can get outside a little bit more, like even if you can get out and start hitting some technical work and some descents, like two, three weeks out from your next race, when it, you know, it's going to matter, like that might be enough of a, a time gap where your body can adapt and you can still race just as well as you would have if you were training outside the entire time. So you can put in like the majority of your work on the treadmill and then hopefully once races resume, uh, get back out on some of that terrain a few weeks out and you should be good. I mean, close to as good as you would have been anyways, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, mentally, the second thing I think you have to do is recalibrate in your mind what your speed and paces are because every treadmill itself is is uh, calibrated differently. Kirk and I both have Nordic Track, the incline trainer. I have the X11 and you have the X22. Yes, sir. And we love that machine, but we also both <laughs> have come to the conclusion that the speed is not calibrated remotely the same as most other like commercial treadmills. Yep. And, and so you have to throw out your concept of what your pace is. And you basically have to retest on your treadmill, I think. And you can retest on a speed test or you can retest uh, just doing aerobic running or lactate threshold. You know, my heart rate is normally this on an easy run run that heart rate and see what the pace is. And then you can extrapolate up and down from there. Or you can do a 5K or one mile time trial if you want to, but make the adjustments so that every day isn't a fight. Just day one, say, all right, here are my new paces and then write those down and then reframe your perspective to those paces rather than every day feeling like a piece of poop because you're not hitting the pace you want to hit. Yeah. Yeah. I, and sometimes you can get off a certain treadmill, like some treadmills I used to go to at LA fitness when I used to belong to that gym would make me feel great about my fitness. It's like the calibration I was running faster and it seemed easier. And I was like, this is, why is this? And then I get on my Nordic track at home and I'd be like, what is happening? And you brought this to light to me, actually. And I know a lot of you are running Nordic tracks, especially to do your incline work. Um, I had done what we call the 1515 test on a commercial treadmill at a gym. And that's, again, we've talked about it, but 15 minutes at 15%, you go as far as you can. And I tested that. Okay. And then like four weeks later, I retested that same test at home on my Nordic track. And I got like a 10th of a mile less which is in this test, a ton of distance. And I thought in four weeks I had lost my fitness. And I remember, I think I even called you or talked to you and I was like, what the heck happened? And it was all because that Nordic track calibration, like you got, you're not, you're working harder than what that tells you you are. And so I learned real quick, like I can't trust my all machines and create them the same, especially if you're doing incline work on that Nordic track, I'm telling you like that belt is moving faster than it says it is. Mm -hmm. Like I'm almost certain, are yeah. you not? Yeah, yeah I, I had done the 1515, um, that, that treadmill challenge. I had done it on three different machines. And my first one, I got like 1.6, then I got 1.61, and then I got uh, I did a block of training um, in the mountains, and I got 1.71. And, wow. and I, believed, I believed those three. Um, and they, they were equivalent efforts. I was just getting better. And I did a 1.65 in the off-season one time. And then I spent two years in Colorado, and I came home, and I had my Nordic track. And I was like, I'm going after one eight. 
like 178 minimum. I'm going for 180. And I got on there and my dad was in the basement at the time. And he was like, oh, I, I want to see this. And I quit after like five minutes and I was down to 155 pace and I couldn't keep it on that treadmill. So it just goes to show like it is not the same. So I had, I had to make my own chart, my own speed chart with what I felt efforts were equivalent to. And yeah, it just yeah. reframe it immediately or it's going to be a depressing thing or it's going to overstate your speed. It's just as dangerous to go the other way and be like, oh man, I'm running 450 pace and usually this doesn't feel that bad. Well, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. And you know something I want to bring up real quick? It just crossed my mind is you hear, so if you're going to go back to flat running, if you're running flat on the treadmill, you know, you usually hear a recommendation, like put your treadmill between 1% and 2% incline to simulate outdoor running because running flat on the treadmill is easier in quotations. Do you know why people say that, Bracken? Do you know what like the, the reasoning behind that is? I've heard different things and I think they're all BS. I got one that I think is valid. All right, let's hear it. But I want to hear the BS first. All right, so I have yeah. heard that it makes up for the variations in the ground. I've heard that it the uh, the treadmill is doing some work for you so you're not driving off the ground. And then I've heard simply air resistance. Yeah. So I think the one that has the most merit is air resistance, um, wind resistance. Um, and usually from the studies that have been done, if you start looking into this, it really only applies if you're running like faster than like eight or seven minute pace. Um, if you're running slower than like eight minute pace on the treadmill or eight and a half, they had some, there was some number that I had read in a couple of these studies. Uh, you, you basically can just run at 0% on your, on your, uh, treadmill. But as soon as you get to those quicker paces, like five minute pace on the treadmill at 0% incline will feel easier than five minute pace outside because at five minute pace, you're causing some pretty solid wind resistance. So they suggest to combat that again, it's only like, it's like the faster you run, the more that rule applies and it doesn't even start until you're basically running like seven or eight minute pace. Yeah. And, and I, I could see that what I prefer to do is just make the speed faster then rather than raise the incline, um, in the, in the circumstance where you're training for a flat race, I, I just specificity of training. I wouldn't want to be running at a grade. I'm not going to run at in the race. Um, but luckily for us, I spend so little time below like 4% on a treadmill that it just never applies to me. But I think that if your body's comfortable at zero, run at zero. Um, if you want to put it up to a half or one, do it. I, I could care less what percent people run at because you just got to go off perceived effort on the treadmill. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about like, you know, so when you talk about the treadmill, first of all, I think a lot of people do just tend to go right to that flat running. Okay. You just mentioned you never run flat on your treadmill. Why is that? Uh, two reasons. One, it, it's not as comfortable on my body. I'm more comfortable for whatever reason running flat on concrete than I am on a treadmill. It's, my stride just feels a little awkward. Um, I basically only do it for speed work. And the second is that uh, the Nordic track has this really intense cushioning system on it that the tr the tread itself like sinks in maybe an inch like the whole platform moves down with you and at when it's flat it just i can't run much faster than like seven minute pace on there before i feel like i'm really rattling the machine so it feels most stable for me at four percent and above yeah i used to have a star track this like bulletproof star track and it went up to I think I could run 359 pace or four flat pace on there and I could keep that flat and run. 
I would do, you know, 30 second intervals at four flat and that thing didn't move at all. So back then that I'd do my stuff flat, but I just don't anymore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those Nordic tracks got a lot of play in them. I don't do any flat work on my Nordic track, uh, fast work. You just can't. Um, but, uh, I would say, you know, this is just my very biased and situational opinion is if you're going to be on the treadmill, it's, it's mentally a slog just to be on there looking at the same scenery kind of getting through. And so for me, I, I constantly, I don't know if I've done flat runs on my, I bet you it's been six months since I've done a flat run on my Nordic track. And that would have been a very extenuating circumstance. Um, I'm always going up as well. Cause you can recover, uh, at 15, 20, 30%, even if it's an easy day, if you just uh, monitor your heart rate. So, yeah. So, so I would just say, I would lean towards the incline work. I feel like if anything, if you're going to talk about the belt moving and doing a little bit of the work for you, um, I can say you can definitely negate that by just simply turning your treadmill at its incline. I agree. Yeah. Uh, in terms of mental stimulation, this this is probably the biggest complaint that people and myself have is, is just tedious, especially if you're used to outdoor training and you get like, it, it brings you life to get outside or get onto the trails and you don't have that anymore. So First thing I do, I've moved five times in the last five years, which is kind of crazy to think about five times in the last eight years. And every time, as soon as I set my treadmill up, I mount a TV in front of it or a tablet holder because I have to have something to watch. And I watch races or action movies or sports. I find that those three get me through things. But regardless of what I'm watching, the watching really, really helps. Everything I do on the treadmill is interval based in some way or fartlek based, even my easy work. Even if I'm keeping the same effort the whole time, I'll go like 4%, 6%, 4%, 6%, just even two minutes or five minutes back and forth. That'd be like the simplest one I do is between four and 6% on just easy aerobic building days if I want to run flattish. Or if I was going flat, 5%, flat, 5%. Every couple of minutes, my watch beeps and I just switch it up, keep the same effort the whole time. But it it just allows me to get through my workouts better. Every single thing I do is interval based for just the mental stimulation. Yep, on recovery runs that can't be understated. Uh, it's the only way I do recovery runs on my on my treadmill. I typically go back and forth between fifteen and one percent. I'll just do just to keep, and it goes so much quicker. Five minutes at fifteen, not working too hard. Five minutes at one percent. Five minutes at fifteen, and it sounds stupid, and it's. But like that little, like those little breaks go a very long way. So I incorporate that into all my easy days. Even, I mean, I'm not stuck inside here. I can get outside when I want to train. Um, but when I do uh, recovery work inside, yeah, I'm always alternating. That's just like one way to just like, I don't know. The run seems like half as awful. Yeah. Yeah. So speed workout, Kirk. Yep. I think the treadmills are really good tools for speed work because you are not dependent on your own internal pacing system and flaws in your stride if you hit other terrain that you just naturally vary your speed you're forced to hold a speed and i mm -hmm. think that that can lead to false sense of speed for some instances but when you're but when you're doing it it also leads to your body has to get good at keeping the same metronome stride over and over and over so i think there are benefits to it how do you translate your speed workout from your go-to speed workouts or whatever's on your plan to a treadmill uh, good question. I do it a lot of different ways. I find myself when I, when I hit the treadmill, I do a lot of time-based stuff versus distance-based. Um, 
so I will almost always translate a distance workout outside to time-based. Um, I don't know why that is. I think sometimes just trying to pay attention to the distance and the, the work versus recovery and the rest versus um, and work ratios. I think it's just easier to, for me that way. So I do that. I do. And the only time I will do like, like you mentioned, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off or whatever it was at four minute pace or you did on your own or whatever. Um, I love those styles of workouts where I'm going to overstimulate my pacing and my stride rate and then just simply hopping off and on. Very simple and effective 30-30 workouts, 60-60 workouts where you're just off and on and you're really just turning them over and like, you know what? I want to get better at running something I've done. I want to get better at running 430 pace, let's just say. All right, well, I'm going to do 60-60 workout at 430 pace until I no longer can complete a rep and then I'm done. And sometimes like things like that, like, oh, I feel like I need to run this pace or I want to get my 5k down to this time, which is this pace, throw a 60, 60 workout on your treadmill at your goal 5k pace. See how long you can do it for 10 rounds, 20 rounds, 30 rounds. Um, I love the simplicity of that style of workout on the treadmill. That is the number one style of speed workout I do on the treadmill. And I think what you said is key, getting used to and good and safe at the style of leave the treadmill running at the pace you want to be at, hop up, get your legs moving and plop down onto it and get moving and then hop off rather than having all this time where it's like ramping up, ramping down. That's the yep. number one thing I do. I also do a lot of time-based. Like we always use this example, but if you're running 400s or thousands, you do 80 second intervals rather than 400s, or you do three and a half minute intervals rather than thousands, whatever it's going to be. Um, there are times if I'm doing flat work, I will, I will just run. You know, if I'm doing KDE, for example, I'll drag for two minutes and I'll hop on the treadmill and run 1200 meters sometimes just so I can break up the monotony of things. And then the last thing I do is uh, vertical gain. I'll do that on a lot of workouts where if I was going to have a hill workout, if I was going to do like I have this quarter mile long hill that has 188 feet of vertical gain, I'll go on the treadmill. I set it to the average grade of my hill. And then I do, I just watch the vertical gain counter, 188 foot intervals. And then I hop off. Yep. Yeah. I did uh, two weeks ago, I did a hundred foot gain with a hundred foot gain rest. Ooh, so I'm for a hundred. Offer oh, hundred so simple and like uh, right now I think I think the the name of the game is just trying to you know staying consistent with your training and it doesn't mean you need to be fancy it doesn't need to mean you need to overcomplicate things everything can be broken down into its simplest form right now and on the treadmill especially and so uh, not overcomplicating not overthinking it like the glory of just hopping on your treadmill for sixty seconds and off for sixty seconds or a hundred foot gain and off is like and and honestly you can build really good fitness that way too and I like working outside of my comfort zone on those workouts, which means I'm working faster than I typically would. And you don't, I don't say, oh, I want to do 10 by 60 seconds. I say, here's my goal pace. And I'm going to let my body tell me how long I can keep this workout going for. Yeah. Um, that's what I think the best approach is if you're looking to still improve your fitness doing that type of workout. Yeah, that's a really good approach to doing it. And I agree that when I do my speed work on the treadmill, I try to make it something that's challenging because I find that the harder I'm working and then with shorter bout durations, I can mentally get through a, a workout on the treadmill. Instead of just staring at the screen, watching it tick by 10th, 10th, one minute, two minutes, it's, all right, I'm resting and gasping for 60 seconds, and now I'm just bearing down for 60 seconds and then back off. Or even three-minute intervals, you just break it up, and it's just a much more mentally accessible workout than doing it, you know, just hop on for 50 minutes, and now I'm going to – I I struggle to tempo 
on a treadmill. I really do to stare at it for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes. That's tough for me. And so on the treadmill, I do cruise intervals instead. I break up my tempo run into intervals, run it slightly faster with really short, like 30 to 45 second rest, just for that breakup mentally. Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised how quick a workout, uh, the workouts like we're talking about go. Like you'd be like 40 minutes in and and be like, wow, that went so fast. Whereas if you were just plodding along steady, 40 minutes can seem like a lifetime. Where in this style of workout, 40 minutes goes by in the snap of a finger. Now, uh, I will I will give you something to do, Bracken, that I think works really well for the tempo efforts mm-hmm. or the longer efforts. Um, you know, I call this, so I assign this to my athletes. I call it a suicide run, which means you, you will die, okay? <laughs> which means this treadmill will win. But this workout keeps me really mentally engaged, and it's also super, super productive. Um Outside, you could you could get assigned something like a progression run where the goal is to run each mile faster and faster until your last mile is the fastest, and that could be an effective tempo workout itself. But obviously, there's factors in there like wind and hills, and sometimes it doesn't always work out quite like you want it to. Where on the treadmill, the suicide run, for me, um, I go up one-tenth of a mile an hour every quarter mile. So I will start in a warm-up effort. For me, that would be I start at eight miles an hour. And then every quarter mile, I'm up 0.1, 0.1. So I think you get like five or six miles in before I finally hit six minute pace. Uh, I think I get four and a half or five. And then you hang on until you can no longer hang on. But it doesn't matter. Every new quarter mile, you're up in your speed by a tenth. And it keeps you engaged with what's happening like way more than you believe it would. And the goal is to just be stubborn as hell and uh, and get it done. So what I would do if I were you is I would pick your warm-up pace, let's say you're going to do a warm-up for an interval workout. Let's say you'd run nine-minute pace for your warm-up. Start your treadmill at nine-minute pace, every quarter mile up it by 1.1 mile per hour, and you hang on for dear life. And then you can retest your fitness that way very accurately in the future. I really like that, Kirk. It's fantastic. In fact, we should probably come up with a challenge because um, it it works so well. works so well as a measure of fitness and to keep your attention. I really do like that. That sounds no. similar to a, a 60, uh, 30, 30 workout I did. Uh, I haven't done it in a while. Back in the day when I was doing more inclined treadmill work, I would, uh, I'd start 30, 30, but I'd keep it high end aerobic. So for me, that's uh, 148 beats per minute. I consider my high end aerobic right now. That's where my zone kind of starts. And so I would do that effort 30, 30, and I would do four rounds and then I'd move the treadmill up a percent incline. And then I just keep going the same pace, but the incline would rise every four rounds. And sometimes I'd do 1%. Sometimes I'd go up 5% incline, depending on how long I wanted the workout to last. You can hit your ceiling really quick if you want. Go up 5% and suddenly, yeah. but you know, you're at high end aerobic, then you're at threshold, then you're at, you know, 10K race effort, and suddenly you're running VO2 max, and then mm-hmm. you're on you're on borrowed time at that point. But I, yeah, I, I do like that idea. I'm going to have to try that suicide run. And you should. You're right. That's a perfect test. It's a great test. And on it, I think for me, the last time I, I haven't done that in like a year or two, uh, but I think I'm going to put it on my to-do list. I was just thinking about it this week, actually. Um, I think that workout, if I started eight miles an hour, which is like 730 pace, which I would warm up at between seven and 730 pace, that's so an accurate warm up uh, starting speed for me. I think I'm hitting over an hour. I'm still getting like 60 to 70 minutes of work out of that workout. I want to say 55 to, so, so it's a long push. Like this is like a, 
lactate threshold. It turns into a lactate threshold. You're 30, 35 minutes of threshold work in there or above. Oh, oh yeah. And sometimes it, if you're really, you know, stubborn and not wanting to die, so to speak, on the suicide like effort, it turns almost into a little bit of a race effort towards the end if you really want to, you know, it's a test. So I would pick either. I would I would start no slower than six miles or five miles an hour, depending on who you are. Either pick five, six, seven, or eight and start there. Even the best athletes should start higher than eight because you want to get some duration out of this workout. So yeah. That's a cool one. I like that. Yeah. Uh, you know what I like? I like that. I like your idea though, too, because you could just like you said, you could translate that into okay, I'm going to start at six miles an hour, but I'm going to go up 1% incline every three minutes or whatever it is until yeah. you, you fall off the back. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if you have an incline trainer, then you get to do any number of hill workouts. One workout I always used to do, I used to do this back when I had two treadmills. I had my incline trainer and then I had my regular, my Star Trek that was my flat fast runner. And so I'd set one, I'd do this, uh, my one, two, three workout. I just do, uh, I do three stages of climbing. So I do 20%, 25%, 30%, a minute at each. And then I'd hop off and I would, uh, sorry, it was a three, 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 three minutes at 20, three minutes at 25, three minutes at 30. And then I'd hop immediately onto my flat treadmill and run at 10 K pace for like four minutes. And then I'd hop off. So it would simulate getting to the top of a climb and then having to either get back to speed or fly down the other side at a flat pace. I have a flat many, fast pace. How many people do you think are running two treadmills at home? Well, and that was the track? problem. When I no longer had that, I, I tried doing the workout on just my Nordic track and I got to 30 and then I quick hit it to go down to zero or five. And it takes like 25 55, seconds. 55 seconds. 56. I mean, exactly yeah. 50 seconds. And so I, it was driving me crazy. And I finally like just thought outside the box and realized, all right, there's a better way to do this. So what I do now with that one, if you're looking to do climb and descent or climb and flat to work on that transition from full quads of just blood and burning back down to running fast and descending or transitioning to a flat and dropping people at the top of a climb, I get to the, my last interval and I cut that interval like 20 or 30 seconds short and I hop off and I do jumping lunges or mini squats until it hits flat. So I can keep my quads full and then I get right back on and go. Yeah. But, I like that idea. Yeah. It was, I was banging my head against the wall because the descent is so slow. Yes. That's boy. It, it doesn't go down any faster than it goes up actually. Yeah. I've, uh, it's a frustrating, yeah, it's a frustrating thing. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, the gist of like the first part of this conversation is, um, like that quick, like structured format, whatever it may be, is the simple format is the is the way to go on your treadmill. And looking back, now that I'm thinking about this, um, I used to hit the treadmill a bit more before I got into OCR just because I was road racing once in a while and I didn't care to get off, off road as much. Um, my fitness could really pop during these times because I would, I would almost overstimulate my leg turnover in systems that way. And then I remember like, I felt like it made me a more efficient runner at the paces when I went to like race my 5Ks or my 10Ks. Um, just like that over, yeah, overstimulation or over turnover that you probably wouldn't do outside during a normal workout. Yeah. Yeah. And and you kind of led me into this, this increased efficiency you can get from a treadmill. It can go away or it can be improved. And I think one of the keys to that is setting up a mirror. I refuse okay. to run on a treadmill if I can't walk, not refuse, but like long-term, I won't do a, a block of training on a treadmill if I can't watch myself run because 
we can get sloppy on a treadmill because the machine does a little bit of the work for you. Somebody like your, your, your leg follow through just doesn't happen as crisp as it might need to. And you can identify weaknesses in your stride. And so it's a great time to watch yourself in the mirror every single stride and make sure, oh, my arms aren't moving. They're kind of asymmetrical or my, my toes are really towing in on my back kick or my heels are staying really low today for some reason. You can real time address your, your form issues and refine them while you're working out. And that's, that's something that that alone might be the thing that some people focus on during this. We still have at least a month of this left, right? There's a chance yeah. it goes for multiple months, but if you come out of this with maybe one thing, it might be stride refinement, just to come out with a prettier, more efficient stride, more symmetrical stride than you went in with. If you could do nothing but that, you're a better runner. Do you have a mirror in front of your treadmill right now? I do. I can only see from the waist down. Because your TV's cause... in the way of the upper body? <laughs> yeah. and, but then um, my goal right now is to get one on the side as well. So I can glance sideways from time to time and see what my back kick's looking like and all that good stuff. My lower leg action always needs work. Uh, it's not because of narcissistic tendencies. You just can't get well, enough I mean, of yourself. Hand hand. You just want to uh, peep yourself. Um, you know, I actually, the mere thing you're talking about, uh, what I noticed from running, this is at the gym where they have the big, nice mirrors in front of the treadmills, is when I get tired, I start to get closed off. And what I mean is my arms come across my body more. I start to keep my head down more. My stride shortens. And so because of mirror running on the treadmill, I have to remind myself to run tall, stay upright. And because as soon as you start getting tired and you start that forward lean, the arms were crossing your trunk, stride was shortening, and I lost efficiency. So that helped me in a sense. Now when I'm outside and I start to feel like I'm about to tie up, I puff my chest out. I try to run tall again, and it keeps me open. It keeps me efficient. And I got all of that only from watching myself in the mirror. Yeah, that's a great that's a great reminder to people. What I like to tell my athletes is you run like someone you're attracted to is watching you. So like you just <laughs> came around the corner on a run or on a race and your wife, your girlfriend, or like a, a, a group of really hot guys or girls, you know, whatever your, your poison <laughs> is, is sitting there and they, you see them around the corner and the way you would run past them is the way you should always seek to run. And so you, yeah, watching yourself in the mirror, you can be like, all right, what looks tall and confident and efficient mm -hmm. and maybe a little bouncy like that stride that's my perfect stride you want to run your closest approximation to that at all times and it's tiring at first when i was trying to mm -hmm. refine my stride back in colorado when i did some treadmill training on the days i couldn't handle the mountains i realized that my stride had started to sag a little bit and so i got mm -hmm. back to my perfect stride and immediately i was like six beats higher per minute heart rate trying to keep that mm -hmm. aerobic on an aerobic run and my speed work, I just couldn't make my as long in my interval session. So it is more costly at first, but over time, it'll you'll have less and less decay in your stride throughout a race, and then you become a better finisher because of it. I'm just gonna pretend you're peeping me on all my runs, Bracken. Yeah. Be like, Bracken's watching me. I gotta look good. Gotta. Maybe that. Maybe that'll be you. All you should do that out there too might work for you. Something somebody told me when I started working on this. This is a former college teammate of mine. Um, and this has helped me and it seems kind of frou but whatever. 
Um, the run tall thing helps me. It helps keep my hips forward. Okay. Like it helps not let my butt stick out. So it helps keep my pelvis tucked and more efficient. You actually heard Ryan Kempson allude to that on an episode a few weeks ago. But what I envision now is it's very easy when you're running outside or on the treadmill to get closed off. Look down at your phone that's sitting on the treadmill or look at your, the, you know, the ground right in front of you. But what I envision is like this, like string attached to my chest and it's, it's, off into the distance to like the top of a tree way out far. And what I do is I imagine that string pulling me from my chest to the top of that tree. And it seems like a really weird thing to do, but I pick something off in the distance that's high and I envision it like pulling through my chest and it straightens me out every time. And I thought it was stupid when my buddy told me this, this is years ago until I started doing it. And then suddenly it made a whole lot of sense. So if you feel like sometimes you get a little internal on your runs, which means you get closed off, you're looking at the ground right in front of your face, or you're on the treadmill looking at the, the digits on the screen, like picture something like a, I don't know how to describe it, like a rope coming out of your chest to something off in the distance. It works for me. And then it keeps me in track. So something to think about. You know who came to mind instantly when you described that is uh, Ryan Atkins. He runs like that. Yeah, he does. He totally runs like He's that. He's always being propelled forward like that. Through his chest almost, yep, yeah. Through his chest. Yep. Okay, so as long as we're talking stride cues, one thing I really like about indoor training with the mirror is kind of how you talk to you can watch your posture when you fatigue. You can also watch your pain face. And I firmly believe that your face and your hands are the key to relaxation. You know, anyone who I, I've talked to a lot of people about this, so disregard it if you and I have talked in person, but do this test at home. Try to flex your entire body with your face and your fingers totally slack and loose. Like flex everything as tight as you can, but keep your hands and your face totally relaxed. It's really, really difficult to do. And then conversely, try to relax your entire body while gritting your teeth in your face and flexing your fists as tight as you can. It's really hard to relax the rest of you. And so I believe the hands and the face are the key to body relaxation. And so throughout your workouts, as you fatigue and as you start to get close to tying up or really getting into that pain cave, watch yourself in the mirror. See what your face is doing. If you're starting to grimace and grit, relax your face. Make your cheeks bounce. Try to keep your hands and fingers loose and relaxed. And you might find that you can extend your run and your intervals a little bit longer than you normally could. And then after time, that becomes second nature. Yeah, the cheek bouncing and the like, the lips like jobbling along is like my indicator that I'm relaxed. Uh, and you just gave another shout out to Sir Ryan Atkins without thinking about it. He runs with his wrists bent and his hands flopping around. If you go back and watch the Jacksonville race, he's leading with his chest and his hands look like they're like rubber. Like his he's got rubber wrists. He's just and you look at other guys like even Kempson will do it, VJ Jones will do it. Look at like their fists. Nobody's running like they're about to punch something everybody's running with like these flaccid hands. Yeah. So that's a good point. And they're running smooth and that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. And whenever I start to doubt that, I think back to Olympic sprinters, when you watch the 100 and 200 meter dash, these guys are running as fast as any human on the planet can run, which takes all out exertion and their cheeks are just bouncing up and down. Mm -hmm. Just completely bouncing, except for Tyson Gay. He's the only guy that ever looks like he's totally clenched, but everyone else yeah. is at 100% maximum effort, but their face is just bouncing and their hands are bouncing. And so yeah. if an Olympic sprinter can run sub 10 seconds in a 100-meter dash with a relaxed face, then we can do it at you know five, six, seven-minute pace. Yeah, we should be able to anyways, huh? Should be. Um, 
So how else do you approach the treadmills or anything? What else, any tips or tricks that when you're looking at this and, and maybe apply it to now, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you do? I think from a compromised running perspective, I think that's one of the treadmill's greatest tools. It's because you generally have it at a place where you have access to other tools at the same time. And you don't have to find the perfect terrain to work on your workout. So I do a lot of my treadmill work is compromised running. So I have an assault bike and a spin bike set up within a few meters of my treadmill. And I have weights. I have that Spartan Ram. I have a, a medicine ball. Uh, anyone who's ever watched any of my Instagram videos, I'm lunging back and forth and hopping on the treadmill or jumping on the, the spin bike hard and then jumping on the treadmill. It's it's really easy to work on transitions because you, your natural tendency is to dawdle, hop off the treadmill, wipe your sweat, walk up to your workout station, finish the station, walk onto the treadmill, watch the tread moving for a little bit and then start moving. But it's it's a great skill to work on, hop off the treadmill immediately into work, finish your work and jump right onto the treadmill and recover while running. So I love doing that. And then I find it's a great way to blow up my quads or my arms and then force myself to run a pace. One of the downsides of compromised running workouts outside is that you're at the mercy of your own toughness in your cardiovascular system. You do something really, really taxing like a sled push or squats or thrusters or something or burpees, and you can run out of that at eight minute pace and then get back down to, let's say you're trying to run six minute pace. A treadmill forces you to be honest about your effort. And so I really like it for compromised running. Yep. And that's also, again, a good way, like it's that workout's going to go by much quicker than just going on the treadmill and slogging away. And I say the biggest, you know, the biggest issue, and this is something that I still work on. And when I look back to the races I'm proud of, uh, and that I feel like I really performed, it's when I had really good obstacle transition coming off of obstacle right into my, my pace again. And so what that does is you say, okay, well, I know I got to run this fast in general during a race, or this is my goal. So exactly speaking to your point, setting that treadmill out of an uncomfortable race pace and getting right back to it after you do your compromised workout, whatever that might be. And what I find when I do that is it is uncomfortable as hell. That first like 10 to 30 seconds, you feel like you're going to blow up and, and then you settle in and it proves to yourself, it proves to me to have the confidence to attack the run right after I get off an obstacle on course, because I know it's going to hurt instantly but my body will find a way to settle back in and recover. Even at that pace, you just have to mentally recognize that it's going to suck for 30 seconds afterwards, but you will get back to feeling at a sustainable rate of work. And that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing the treadmill's done for me. That's exactly um, right. It, you have that learned confidence that this will pass. I'm not going to blow up. It's going to suck for a minute. But then my body knows how to recover while moving, where if you haven't done these really intense transitions and workouts, you're going to come off an obstacle and you're going to believe that false pain like, all right, this signal tells me I'm blowing up. I have to back off rather than this signal will fade. I have to push now because the guy next to me, he might believe that signal and I can drop him right now. Yeah. And on the other side of the coin, we do, you know, we glorify these compromised run workouts as like high-end suck fests. Uh, for example, uh, I have something planned this Thursday for myself where it's gonna it's gonna be more aerobic work. You can break up any monotonous treadmill workout. Like my plan right now is to hop on my my incline trainer on Thursday, um, and every three minutes hop off and do fifteen burpees. 
and then just get right back on it like a reasonable rate of work just to one break it up. Maybe I'll go a little anaerobic at times, but um, it's like a moderate intensity day. And so just literally, okay, I need to run for an hour today, but every three minutes or every half mile or whatever you want, break it up with some sort of like reasonably effort move. You don't have to be redlined, hate your life every time you do this. You can literally break up your your recovery run if you want, if you do it right with plyometrics in between. And that always translates to the race course too. So it doesn't always have to be like redline. I hate my life type work in my opinion. I um, agree. It helps time, time move much quicker. I think it's the perfect time for skill work. I think sometimes in our sport, we forget that all other sports known to man have days where they're just doing skill development. Not everything is about fitness development and intensity. There are there are times where you have to do skill work at a non-exhausted in a non-exhausted state so that the skill is done perfectly. And you know, there are times like in basketball to practice fatigued free throws so that at the end of the game, when your legs are trashed, you still know how to shoot with correct form through that. But uh, there's a, another time to practice uh, perfect free throws. And it happens a lot in every other sport where you do, you know, compromise skill work, but you do a large majority of skill work fresh so that it's done correctly. The muscle memory is perfect. The muscle pattern is perfect and it sticks. And we, I not, I shouldn't say we, but in general, I think our sport leans towards intensity on skill days and sometimes forgets to get uh, some perfect practice in. Yeah. If, if you look at Jacksonville, uh, that's Sam Bain carry was a huge separator in the race. And I, I would suggest on one of your next indoor sessions, go back and watch the coverage of the race, men especially, because the men's weights are, are heavier proportionally than the women's. And you get to see what happens to people who aren't used to carrying that load. Uh, you had some people who had exceptional carries, Ryan Woods, uh, Aaron Newell. Watch, watch those two, especially Aaron. Mm -hmm. um, he flew with that sandwich. Yes, compared to so how everyone else looks in it. He just looked comfortable under that load. His structure did not sag left or right. His hips didn't collapse. He didn't have a side-to-side -side lean. He just looked like someone whose body was used to moving in that movement pattern, was used to bearing that weight, and he ran rather than like a sandbag shuffle. And mm -hmm. everyone is capable of having that if you put the time in. And so one workout I assigned to athletes and myself is just the 1,200-400 workout. It's an easy day. Uh, you run aerobically for 1200 meters and then you carry a little bit faster for 400 meters and the runs are all easy and casual and the the carries are all done perfectly so you're trying to be up tall strong perfect form you know prancing foot to foot really really strong carries and then just casually jog and i'll just repeat that for 40 50 60 70 minutes and it's just skill workout it's not designed to hurt you're just getting yourself to the point where you can look like Ryan Atkins or Aaron Newell on a carry structurally sound and technically proficient. I like that. I think I like that a lot. And I think, I think the name of the game really is, you know, the treadmill seems like a death sentence. It seems like it's, it's just like, Oh, months of this, but really the way we're outlining this is you don't have to be going on your treadmill slogging along every single day. In fact, most days of the week right now, you know, we've talked about working on your weaknesses. We've talked about uh, these things in these past episodes. The carries are a great example of that, man. Like if you broke up two of your recovery runs each week, one with like a compromised easy run and then another with like a like a carry workout, even at recovery effort, 
instead of having two steady runs on your treadmills, now you have two broken up recovery efforts that are still skill work. Um, the treadmill becomes way less miserable. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to just go run and do running on a treadmill like that. That's going to be a tough month for you guys. Don't you? I mean, really? So, so the point of this all is, is yeah, it's, it's, you got to start thinking outside of the box and you might as well apply your outside of the box thinking to uh, Spartan racing or, you know, if you're a trail runner, I guess there's way around ways around that too. But um, point is there's just not, it's not steady slogs, man. It's just, yeah. you can do plenty of other things. And the treadmill is the perfect time to look at the glasses half full because the worst part of the treadmill is that there's nothing to do and think about. And the best part of the treadmill is that there's nothing to do and think about. You don't have to worry about tripping over rocks. You don't have to worry about crossing streets or red lights or cars. You don't have to worry about your footfall at all. And so you can put all your mental energy on focusing on what you're trying to improve. And that's why improving your form on a treadmill is so powerful. Improving your carry work on a treadmill is because you can spend the whole time thinking about your obliques and your shoulders and your hips and how your chest is expanding rather than collapsing. You can spend all your energy thinking about the thing that needs to be improved rather than thinking about anything else that normally has to be thought about during outdoor running. So use it as a benefit. Just say, hey, you know what? This is a blessing in disguise. I can put all my effort towards fixing what needs to be fixed and no, it's it's not going to be a boring, mind-numbing exercise. It's going to be an efficient, an efficiency improving exercise. And I'm just going to focus through every single piece of what I do. Well, tell tell us this. So I agree with all of that. That's that's great advice. So what what do you have coming up on your now that you're running again? Just give us a few more examples. What what do you have coming up on your docket that you'll be u- using your treadmill for? Do you have that planned out yet? Well, I'm not fully running. So I'm doing most of my work on the uh, the stair mill, but the same things apply. I'm working on driving from my glutes off the ground rather than trying to power with my quads. I find that I naturally over time with more trail running and much less speed work and road, my stride cadence has slowed and my ground contact time has greatly increased. I've been pouring back through my data and watching videos of myself run, and it's painfully obvious that my stride has deteriorated a little bit. So I'm working on quick cadence, getting off the steps as quick as possible rather than sinking and letting my hips kind of drop side to side and driving straight down into the ground off my glutes rather than letting my quad power all the way through the stride. So that's something I'm working on every single morning on the stair mill and then translating it to the road or to the treadmill um basically every other day i'm trying to run a mile oh that's all you're at right now yep i ran one mile this morning good job but yeah i'm really focusing on what's happening with the bottom half of my body hips and below so that i can get on and off the ground balanced and off the ground quick rather than this kind of sinking in my stride that i've developed and you would do that on the treadmill just as equally as you would on the Stairmaster? Probably right now, easier on the treadmill. Yeah, I'd be able to, because on the Stairmaster, I can't work cadence as much as like trying to hit an ideal number. I'm just trying to improve the steps per minute I'm taking. We're on a treadmill. I can say, I know when I run, I've been averaging 162 on my uh, steps per minute on my aerobic runs. I need to get to 168 today. And then tomorrow, yeah. 170, 172, and move up from there. So, yeah, it's it's the perfect time for me to work on my lower half mechanics. Awesome. For me, um, 
you know, I understand the treadmills part of this deal right now too, where, where we're at with life and everything. And so for me, I, I can run uphill uh, at a steady rate of work, I think with almost anybody, but as soon as it comes to high level climbing uh, is where I start to fall short. So for me, I'm using my treadmill and I, I will be coming up uh, short, quick, hard, very uncomfortable efforts, probably 60, 60 style, even 30, 30 style. Like it'll feel like an uphill sprint. Um, I need to be faster going uphill. And, and I feel like the only way to develop that system is to uh, oversaturate it, so to speak. So that will be what I'm working on in this time and, and using this quarantine for that. I love that you say that because I think people need to hear it. And we've talked about it before. Your body doesn't know pace. It knows intensity. Mm-hmm. And if you if you wanted to get faster on the flats, what would you do? You would work like real speed work intervals. If you want to yep. do, get faster at 30%, you don't get cute and fancy. You do the exact same workout. If you're doing 60-second intervals flat to build foot speed and you know that, uh, that speed endurance, do the same darn thing at 30%, and it will translate completely to race day. Yep, yep. I've realized that I've the longer, you know, I've never raced this far before in my life until Spartan. And I started doing like the sprints and supers. And now we have these beasts and and they're two plus hour events. Well, that's new to me. So I started training a lot longer interval work, a lot more tempo threshold work. And that all has its place. But what I've realized is that I've lost a little bit of my pop because I've ignored it. And I think I can get back to better efficiency over long distances if I train those shorter bursts like I used to before I was focused on such long races. And I think that's a trap a lot of us fall into. Um, a lot of us fall into that trap. So uh, my, my plan is turnover. And the best place to do that, honestly, to keep you on track is the treadmill, man. I almost it might, I might think it'd be better than getting outside at points. Yeah, it definitely would be. And, and the cool thing is you could just say like, I need my 5K to improve to be able to run with some of these guys you could do 50% of that plan or 100% of the plan at 30% incline if you wanted to, 20% incline. You could just translate it directly. You wouldn't have to change a single thing. You could do every single workout on the incline and you would get the same benefit as if you were doing it flat. Your 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 top end working rate would just improve. Yep. Yeah. Um, don't have much to add to that. I think, I think you nailed that. So what else you got? Anything else you want to add to the conversation? Anything you're dying to get off your chest other than your nipple scab? Well, I got my nipple scab off my chest. The last thing I would say is that the treadmill is a really good time to practice race nutrition. You know, we've covered okay. aerobic work. We've covered compromised running. We've talked speed work. We've talked um, cadence, form, all that. The final piece to the puzzle is actually racing. And for long races, it's fueling. And you're not limited in what you can carry when you're on a treadmill. You can set up a table right next to you. You can have 10 different bottles and throughout your workout, you can try different tactics for when you drink, what you're drinking, how thick do you mix your drinks, different things like that. You can have just a buffet of things next to you and your long run efforts or your long workouts, those can all be done testing out how you're going to do things. And I think it's a really good time to get used to packs as well. Put your pack on, practice getting your bottle in and out all day long. It's what I did before Killington and Tahoe. I used the race packs that I planned on using and just like every 20 or 30 seconds, I took my bottle in and out or I took my windbreaker in and out and just over and over and over just did that. 
And again, you don't have to worry about tripping. You don't have to look at rocks or turns. You can just constantly work on that skill of race fueling. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, gear testing too. That's a great point because if you're stuck on a trail and you're gear testing a pack that's rubbing you the wrong way, you're kind of stuck. But treadmill, you can just whip that baby off or you could switch pairs of shoes if you're trying something out or anything like that. Yeah, I did that point. with uh, waist belts. I had four of them that I was testing out and I just kept running. I'd hop on the treadmill, I'd run for 60 seconds in one, throw the next one on, run. I could just, just keep doing that. We're on a trail, like best case scenario, I could put them all in my car and keep returning back to my car. Yeah. So yeah. you just get in real time comparisons between how does this drink stay down? How does this pack bounce? How does this shirt chafe? Just test your gear out. What else do we have to do at this time? You know, get yeah. crazy, dive into your gear. There's plenty of shit to do on the treadmill, people. I think that's what we're trying to tell you. I mean, that, that pretty much wraps up everything we want to talk about treadmills. But to reiterate the two most important pieces of this podcast, A, send in your terrible nipple chafing stories. The, the top most horrific and horrendous nipple chafe story will get a free month of coaching from me. And we'll give a shout out to the top male and female finishers on the suicide run. So send us your results and your stories and we'll make you famous. That's right. Yeah. And that suicide run to remind you people, uh, women, we're going to start you at nine minute miles on the treadmill. Men, you must start at eight minute miles on the treadmill. And the rules are every quarter mile, you increase the speed by 0.1 miles per hour. And you stay on that treadmill as long as you possibly can until you die. That's why it's called a suicide run. And we want to see who can get the furthest. Put a big number up there for us to brag about on your behalf. And if possible, I want to see heart rate data. I want to see who's taking themselves into that pain cave. Oh, that would be good stuff. Yeah, I like that. Well, go get nasty out there, folks. Use those treadmills. Mm -hmm.